0: Welcome to the Reporters Roundtable. I'm your host, Peter Zaluski from Condo Vultures. If you're listening to this podcast, that means it must be Wednesday. This is when we bring together current and former journalists, talk about some of the biggest headlines that have occurred within the last week. And we help you to listen or understand uh, why these stories are important and how they might be impacting the local economy as well as the real estate world down here in the Tri County, South Florida area. For this particular week, who do we have on the panel? Well, we have a, one of our regulars. That's John Fackler. John used to work over at the South Florida Business Journal. Um, where he covered white-collar crime, as well as publicly traded companies based in South Florida. Right now he has his own public relations and marketing company. What's going on, Mr. Fad?
1: Not too much. It's an absolute pleasure to be back.
0: Well, it's a pleasure to have you. I'm sure you're going to have a lot of insightful things to say for our listeners. Who else (laughs) do we have? We have a gentleman who is a journalist for over 25 years. And no, it's not his dog. That dog is my neighbor's dog. That's what you hear in the background.
1: So this gentleman was
0: a journalist for more uh, than 25 years, mostly in the state of Florida, where he also, he did a gig at the Tampa Tribune, as well as some other publications, where now has his own publications marketing firm called Groose Communication.
2: What's up, John? Hey, Peter. Always a pleasure to be back on the one and only Unauthorized Podcast.
0: Unauthorized Podcast is right. Absolutely. We're glad to have you. And then finally, our rotating journalist this week is a gentleman who's based out of Washington D.C., but he comes to Miami. While well, he did regularly before the pandemic, but he actually lived down here. Who's that? Is a gentleman who is a journalist for North of thirty years, and he's also written six books. He's an author. You can look some of them up on Amazon. That is Ken Silverstein. What's up, Mister Silverstein? Oh, just waiting for spring. You're waiting for warm spring
3: down there, and finally warming up here a little bit um so going crazy ready to talk about all these stories you sent my way will i'm always a little baffled about what insights i can add you guys are all down in miami but i'll do my best
0: all right well we would like to have the out perspective especially if somebody who's in the beltway so you got kind of a national perspective and maybe you can offer some insight maybe something that we you know we haven't thought about so Um, For anybody who's listened to this podcast for the first time, or if you're a regular listener, you've probably heard me say this before, we look for straight talk in salty language, i.e. cursing. It is permissible. So um, hope nobody gets offended if somebody drops an F-bomb. That being said, guys, let's go ahead and let's let's get going. We're going to do six stories uh, over the course of two segments. We will then, I will then ask all of you to go ahead and make a prediction, and then we're going to end up with the comments, where you, the listener, you can go ahead and, and, uh, and tell us if you have any, ask any questions, make a comment, criticize, compliment, any and eat all the above we want to hear from you. To send that email, or to send a comment, send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. So that being said, let's go. So let's get into COVID numbers before we get started, Uh, as we've been doing for the last few months. We go ahead and we'll give you an update uh, every week when we do this podcast as to what's going on in the state of Florida with COVID. And again, we're recording this, or uh, we're recording it on Monday, the 8th of March, and it will be published on the 10th of March, which is a Wednesday. So in the state of Florida, coming from the Florida Department of Health, COVID-19 dashboard, and the n- numbers are updated daily. And Anybody wants to check out the numbers, go to just do a search for Florida Department of Health COVID-19 dashboard. There you'll find the numbers. Again, not saying these numbers are right, they're wrong, but they are official. So that's what we got. Here's what we got. We got 1.95 million confirmed cases in the state of Florida. 1.95 million. In South Florida, which is comprised of Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach County, 734,400 cases. 734,400 in Miami-Dade County. We got 415,200. Broward is going to have 197,800. And Palm Beach County will have 121,400. Overall, South Florida represents about 37.7% of all cases in the state. And it's a number that's holding steady and actually decreasing, which means other parts of the state are actually um, proportionally going up, even though our population is one of the largest concentrations or biggest populations in the entire state. Now, on the death count. Thirty-one thousand seven hundred sixty-four have died in the state of Florida, uh, based uh, uh, based on COVID, according to the state. Ten thousand five hundred fifty-nine in South Florida, with fifty-five sixty in Miami-Dade, twenty-four seventy-seven in Broward, and twenty-five twenty-two in Palm Beach County. The death counts. In the state, 33.3 percent are coming out of the South Florida area, which again has been holding steady, if not decreasing. And then finally, last week we went for the first time. We went ahead and we added hospital uh, stays. How many people are in the hospital? Well, let me give you an update. Last week we had 79,000 people in the state of Florida in the hospital. This week, 81,000 people are currently hospitalized in the state of Florida, with 27,000 in South Florida, with 11,800 in Miami-Dade, 9,100 in Broward. In 6,100 in Palm Beach County, guys. Anybody want to make any comments about uh, the COVID numbers or anything going on related to the pandemic?
3: Nope. I'm just okay. I'm, I'm just. Go ahead, Ken. Sorry. I mean, no, I'm just. I'm sort of surprised that the numbers um, are going up, just in general. Uh, even though it's, it seems like a small increase, but in general, the numbers have just been dropping pretty dramatically. So. I didn't know that.
2: Well, there was yeah, a story yeah. on Bloomberg, there was a story on Bloomberg that just uh moved uh, like a few hours ago. I was reading it um and it said that the UK variant is uh is is starting to run rampant in Florida and that's accounting for um like 20% of the cases right now and apparently that's what's uh driving some of the numbers right now. So Wow.
0: That's good to know. I mentioned that, you know, I've been looking at flights. I saw flights from Miami to London are 400 bucks. Looks like I'm not taking that flight anytime. So, (laughs) all right. All right, guys, let's go ahead. We'll get into the stories right now. All right, for story number one. Ken, why don't we start off with you? We're going to go to you about a story that came out of CNBC. That story is actually breaking today, which is the 8th of March. The Monday podcast is going to be published on Wednesday. And here's what we got, Ken. Booking Holdings CEO. Booking Holdings, by the way, is a publicly traded company that is involved with um, a bunch of online uh, travel uh, services, whether it be flights or be rental cars or be hotels. Okay, so that's who it is. So here's the headline: Booking ha- Holdings CEO warns travelers to make their reservations now before the prices rise. <laughs> here's the three points, Ken. I want you to. I going to read them and I want you to comment. Point number one. People should start making travel plans now before prices go up, warned Booking Holdings CEO Glenn Fogel. Point number two: most airlines have dropped cancellation fees, so there's really no harm in canceling a booking, says Fogel. And point number three: Fogel, who again is the CEO of uh, Booking uh, Holdings, says he remains optimistic in the travel industry's long-term prospects, saying his people are always saying people are always uh, ready to go traveling. Ken, what say you? Is there going to be a shortage of flights and a shortage of ho- open hotel rooms and people better book right now? Or is this gentleman sort of pumping up the market, uh, maybe because he wants to get a bump out of his stock price?
1: Well, he's
3: definitely got a self-interest
0: here. I mean, that's obvious. So everything he says has to be
3: taken with a grain of salt. Um, <clears throat> that said, I think people have just hit the wall. I mean, I
1: know, um,
3: you know, the vaccine rollout has started. It hasn't been flawless, but people are starting to get the vaccine. Um, and I know just probably maybe less so in, in Miami. I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. Since I haven't been there since pre pandemic, but you get the sense here that, you know, this is psychologically punishing. People want to get out. I mean, I haven't done anything like I wouldn't go and have a meal in an indoor restaurant um but i've gone out to bars a few times which i mean i know in, in florida i'm sure that's no big news but i mean i feel like you know there is this trade-off and so i started to go out a little bit more i mean i do all the regular stuff the mask and everything else but um i do think people have hit the wall the weather's starting to get nice and so I do think people are going to start traveling more. I know, you know, I've been looking at you know, various options. My sister, who um, I better be careful here, she pro- probably won't be listening to your show. Um, but <laughs> no, I mean, let's, the odds are low. So, but <clears throat> I know she's like been extremely cautious about doing anything, and she's off in the Dominican Republic now. So, wow. You know, I mean, so I was shocked, actually. You know, my other sister told me this. I was really surprised because she's been extremely careful. She did get the vaccine. So, um, but in general, I mean, you know, if <laughs> knock on wood, if there are no serious glitches, if there isn't a resurgence, um, I definitely think people are going to start traveling again. It is one of the most, you know, hey, it's the thing that I miss more than anything. It's the thing that's been driving me crazy over the last year is the inability to travel. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I would always be careful when he says airlines have dropped cancellation fees so there's no harm in canceling a booking. I would just always on that, I would be very careful because if the airlines can fuck you, they're gonna do it. So I would read the fine print on cancellation fees. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's trying to pump up his company and pump up the industry, but in this case, I would say He's probably right. People have, um, you know, with the vaccine coming coming out, and just we're we're a year in now. I mean, my God, I mean, I'm desperate to travel, so I would expect there will be a big uptick.
0: All right, all right, um, John. I want to get your callus, but let me just sort of make a point first. Over the weekend, I was looking for airfares because I too am uh, uh, yearning to go traveling, and I can tell you, Miami to Barcelona, Spain, round trip, four twenty-five. 425 round trip, um, direct, uh, nonstop, as well as Miami to Tokyo, 525. Miami to Tokyo, 525. Now I don't know what the hell's going to happen once you actually arrive. I don't know if you're going to have to sit in, pand- you know, in a quarantine for two weeks or whatever the case may be. But you can see things are going on, and there's increasingly talk of some sort of world um, uh, vaccine. Passport or some sort of letter that people would receive, and if you have this Willy Wonka golden ticket, you basically be able to come rolling into um, any country that would accept you. With the idea that you basically don't have the, um, you know, you you you're not going to get sick. who's to say what uh, affects anything you're bringing into that country in terms of being a carrier. But that's sort of another question. Mr. Fackler, uh, what works for you? Is this kind a of ahead and rush and start booking? Like the CEO of Booking Holdings. Uh, and by the way, Booking Holdings, some of their sites they own are Kayak, OpenTable, Booking.com, Priceline, and
1: Agoda. So what say you, Mr. Fackler? Let me, let me put my two cents in here. <clears throat> I have one word to sum up this, this article, this report. Bullocks. Bullocks. <laughs> it is... It is other nonsense and i'll tell you why it looks like it was posted about 5:30. i feel yep. like i actually saw this on cnbc much earlier in the day now i can't be sure if it was before or after this the today's um much waited for cdc report but the cdc report that came out today that gave guidance on those who got fully vaccinated said among other things that to avoid travel and tourism, specifically travel and tourism. So, um, you know, you can go into small, you know, get-togethers with people who also were vaccinated, but for them to come out with that report today after the CDC much-awaited guidelines say do not travel, and I'm assuming that means by uh, plane or otherwise, is to me just uh, utter rubbish. And That's my opinion on it.
0: Interesting. So I take it, Mr. Factor, you're not going to be booking any um, any travel plans. So I know you don't like to fly. You like to go by. Well,
1: rail. I'm a huge rail plans? Pardon me. I, I said you like to take the train.
0: Um, uh, <laughs> any plans to get on the train?
1: I don't think they allow you on the train either, right? Don't you have to mask up and have all kinds of stuff going on? I don't think you can travel by train, but I'm not sure. I haven't traveled in a while.
0: Okay. All right, and what what would it take, John, for it, to get you to travel somewhere, besides somebody having to pay for it because you're you're, little, you're kind of cheap? Uh, you know, a,
1: a death of the family—that's about it.
0: <laughs> okay, fair enough. On that note, uh, John, let's go to you with story number two. Story number two, John, is coming out of Market Watch headlines. The U.S. economy is ready to surge again, but so is inflation. Inflation has been low for a long time, but that's not stopping Wall Street from worrying. I'll give you the first couple of graphs, John, and then I'll ask you to comment. Um, here we go. The U.S. added a robust 379,000 jobs in February, and the economy is primed to take off. But improved growth prospects might come at a cost in the short run. In a word, inflation. Make no mistake, inflation is still very low right now, and and as it has been for the past decade. The coronavirus pandemic inflation early last year, and even now prices are rising less than two percent a year. The loss of so many jobs during the pandemic, nearly 10 million, are still missing, and resulting uh, and, uh, and resulting drop in demand is also helping to keep a lid on inflation. But we have all kinds of stimulus plans, including 1.9 billion a, a trillion. Looks like it's going to be passed, which will take us to a total of about six trillion dollars during this pandemic. Which means prices have to go up because there's a lot of cash out there. What say you, John?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, that's the big debate. But, uh, you know, the, the Federal Reserve Chairman, Jay Powell, said uh, uh, last week that he wasn't worried about inflation, even if there was a small uptick in inflation because of the um, stimulus package. So and to be honest, I mean, wage growth would have to be pretty significant to permanently increase um, you know, boost inflation. So, you know, I, it's, uh, you know, it's a never ending debate and we've been talking about inflation now for years and years and the risk of inflation. And, you know, uh, the thing is, is that, uh, wage growth has to happen for, for inflation to really take off. I mean, we're seeing inflation in like some spot areas like, uh, oil prices and food and, Certain materials, particularly in construction, lumber prices and steel and things like that. But I, I think that's kind of a, a supply and demand of problems with the supply chain, with, um, you know, the ports being uh, overcrowded. And I mean, there's there's tons of other reasons for this. And I think once once the supplies get moving more smoothly, I think that some of those inflationary pressures will Will die down, but you know who knows.
0: Yeah, um, Ken, I want to go to you, but I, I want to sort of ask you big picture. Um, I don't think a lot of people actually have ever experienced inflation if you live primarily here in the United States. But you, you've traveled a lot. Um, you've been places like Venezuela where the inflation was like ten thousand percent annually, which is just like a rate that nobody can even understand. Could, is, is there any inflation story you might be able to tell us um, that maybe you've experienced as you've traveled uh, the world and lived in? in various places because here inflation is okay, eggs were a buck forty uh for a dozen and now they're a buck sixty, while significant doesn't really mean anything versus some of the situations like there's been in Caracas and other places. anything you might be able to add in terms of what inflation really is, Ken, and, and how it impacts people's lives when it when it comes? Well, I mean I've I I have
3: not been in Venezuela during the um current inflation, or at least that's what's going on now. I mean at this point You know, there was just, you know, another devaluation, and like a million Bolivar note is worth 50 cents or something like that. (laughs)
0: Um, But I lived in Brazil
3: uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, and there was a hyperinflation. Um, And, you know, I mean, the idea that that sort of situation is going to develop here is just ludicrous. It's not comparable. But back then, you know, it was one of those situations, really like, you know, Weimar Republic Germany, where, you know, their prices were being changed in uh, the supermarket. I, I mean, not in terms of a Nazi takeover, <laughs> just in terms of the price inflation. I mean, there okay. were, you know, you'd be sitting in the super, you'd go into a supermarket, and, you know, you'd want to get the product off the shelf as quickly as possible because, you know, I mean, literally. As you were there, every the prices were being changed all the time. But that's obvious. Know, I mean, obviously, that's not going to happen here. And I agree with John. I don't think this um, be a big. I'm not an economist. I mean, although I do have a, you know some historical viewpoint, <clears throat> um and I do have some knowledge on this topic, but I'm not an expert. So obviously, I'm guessing. um But, um, yeah, wages would have to go up significantly, and that's just not going to happen because that's not the economy we live in. I mean, the, you know, more and more people are going on to shit contracts where you get no benefits. And especially that's going to you know, with with the pandemic, I think businesses have seen they can screw workers even more. Oh, you're Mm -hmm. working at home, you know, we don't really need an office. I mean, why didn't you pay for the electric bill? While you work at home, why don't you buy your own computer? You know, I mean, more and more people are being pushed into, Mm -hmm. you know, wages are stagnant, um, benefits are being cut. So you're not going to have wage growth. Um, And also, let's face it, Wall Street is very, very powerful. And they don't, you know, I mean... Back in the Carter years, I mean, I don't remember what, you know, we had, um, uh, so during the 70s, um, if any of your listeners were are familiar with this period, I am, um, uh, you had stagflation, you know, you had high unemployment and high inflation at the same time, which was vanquished via just this massive recession engineered by the Federal Reserve, um, but at a huge, huge cost. And since then, there's never really been. I mean, we're going on. I mean, I guess it, it was the Reagan years where this was really unfolded. Um, but it started even in the in the 70s. Um, so we haven't seen inflation. I mean, can you imagine 7%? That's not going to happen. The Fed won't allow it. I mean, Wall Street doesn't want it. Wealthy investors don't want it. Um, and it would require very pro-labor policies that just aren't going to happen. I mean, even under Biden, you know, it's that it's way better than, uh, the environment is better than under Trump. You know, it is significant that Biden went out and made these positive comments about, uh, you know, Amazon workers organizing in Alabama. Great, but you're still not going to see a big jump in wages. And hence, I don't think you're going to see a big jump in inflation. So what... It, you know, 2%, 3%. Um, It's not, you know, we're not looking at some... Oh, Steve, please, Steve.
0: That's just not on this horizon. I can't see it. Okay, okay. So, John, let's go to you with story number three. This is coming out of Fox 13 up in Tampa. Headline, popular South Florida venue bans spring breakers under the age of 23 who have out-of-state IDs. If you remember last week, We had a story about 400 people who were arrested in Miami Beach in the first three weeks of the month of February, simply because their spring breakers were just descending upon Miami Beach. Now it looks like uh, one club or one bar up in Fort Lauderdale area, they're going to try to avoid what happened in Miami Beach. So, John, let me read you first couple graphs, and then you can sort of uh, provide your opinion. Here we go. A popular party spot in Fort Lauderdale is restricting who will be allowed in during spring break season. On Friday, the Wharf Fort Lauderdale, which, by the way, is related to the Wharf down in Miami on the Miami River. So the Wharf Fort Lauderdale posted an announcement on social media saying it won't admit out-of-state spring breakers under the age of 23. In quotes, during spring break season, Wharf Fort Lauderdale will be 23-plus for all guests with uh, out-of-state IDs, the announcement said. What say you, Mr. Fackler, is business that good that they can go ahead and they can just turn people away, or is this a um, a move towards trying to generate some good PR? Because if you remember a few months back, they were criticized because they opened up the gates and basically got flooded with all types of people who weren't necessarily paying attention to social distancing uh, rules, which pissed off a lot of the city commissioners up in Fort Lauderdale. So what say you, Mr. Fackler?
1: Yeah, I, I, I was going to say that they buried the lead on this one because, I call this COVID shaming. It was shamed um, into being responsible, uh, which everybody should be responsible, but they were shamed into it because, like you said, there was some negative PR that came out. Uh, they literally were caught with people running around with no masks on. I think it happened several times, not just once. So I figured mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. figured this would be the best way to you know step forward and look responsible and actually do something that, that everybody should be doing, know, that is being responsible with all the uh, – uh, suggestions and guidelines for uh, for COVID. So um, I think it's more about that than uh, um, than the, what 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 the establishment is doing and you know being uh, uber responsible. It's just that they were shamed. But then Got again, it. I'm Got a it. negative. I'm a negative neighbor, as, they, as Reagan they used to say, right? So, um, but I, I think that's more the story.
0: Okay. Okay. And Jean, um, according to the article. It says that the, uh, uh, one of the owners said that they're going to they're going to keep the uh, capacity to only fifty to sixty percent capacity in order to try to be a good neighbor for the Fort Lauderdale area. What what say you? Does that make business sense? that They can go ahead and load it up, or should they go ahead and do this uh, uh, because they want to be a good neighbor?
2: So um, I think it's just a PR stunt because uh, you know they got caught, and um, I agree with John. Um, But I but I thought that Fort Lauderdale had chased away all the spring breakers. I I didn't know Fort Lauderdale even had spring breakers anymore. Um, So I I thought they all went somewhere else.
0: Well, apparently, and I heard an interview um, uh, last week with um, uh, somebody representing the police uh, department up there. Apparently, uh, quite a number of people have actually are are just showing up in Fort Lauderdale looking to uh, look in the party. Uh, because Florida is open and Governor DeSantis, uh, Ron DeSantis, keeps going on TV and saying we're open, everything is open, uh, sort of leading the charge for those who want to open up their states regardless of the pandemic. And as a result, you have all kind of spring breakers coming down. We we talked about Miami Beach, 400 arrests in the first three weeks of February. And now you uh, and then, you know, there's been talk about Fort Lauderdale, how many people are descending about Fort Lauderdale Beach as well at this point. Guys, uh, let's go ahead. We'll take a commercial break. The other side of the break, we're going to get into three more stories that are a little bit closer to home and related to real estate. So stay tuned. This is Peter Zaluski of the Condo Vultures podcast. Back in 1995, I got my real estate license, but I didn't practice for a number of years simply because I was writing about real estate as a journalist. 2006, I broke out and I launched a company called Condo Vultures. The idea was to try to use information. Uh, data, and know-how to try to get the best deals on behalf of buyers. So if you are a buyer and you're looking for a deal, you're looking to try to understand the condo market in the Tri-County, South Florida area, myself and my team are here to help you. To get a hold of us, please call us at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com. If you're enjoying the Condo Vultures podcast and you want more information, but this information in the written word as well as charts, why not sign up for the South Florida Distress Market Intelligence Report? To do so, go to condovulturesrealty.com. Slightly below the main banner and logo, you will see a sign-up box. It's called the South Florida Distress Market Intelligence Report sign-up. Simply enter your email address, hit subscribe, and lo and behold, every week you'll be sent a newsletter giving you the latest updates on what's going on in the distressed market in South Florida. Welcome back to the Reporters Roundtable. I'm your host, Peter Zaluski. I have Ken Silverstein. He's a veteran journalist as well as an author. I have John Groose. He was a journalist for 25 years. Now he has his own public relations marketing firm called Groose Communications. And I have John Fackler. John used to write about white collar crime and public trade companies in South Florida for the South Florida Business Journal. Now he does public relations and marketing himself. John, we're going to go over to you for story number four. This is coming out of the real deal up in New York. Headline for multi-family and office landlords the worst is yet to come according to the ratings agency Moody's so here's what the first couple graphs say John then I'll ask you to comment for landlords across different commercial real estate sectors Moody's analytics has some potentially distressing news the worst may be yet to come a new report by the economic research firm looks at the state of the commercial real estate in the wake of the pandemic and what to expect in 2021 the report looks at Four commercial real estate sectors, multifamily, office, retail, and industrial, and while there are some reasons to be optimistic about uh, the year to come, more distress is on the horizon. Uh, One last quote, uh, Jean, and then I'll ask you to comment. In quotes, the report says, though there is distress on the income side with landlords and owners having to deal with deteriorating rents and occupancies, there's much less recorded distress on the pricing side as fewer owners are pressured to sell. So maybe that's a little bit of positive news. What say you Jean, is commercial real estate in trouble or um is this all to be expected and are we going to
2: somehow navigate through the rough waters,
0: rough patch we have right now?
2: Yeah, yeah, but you know, but falling rents will eventually affect asset values and prices. So I mean, you know, it's just a matter of time if if uh, rents are falling, then uh, so will commercial property values. But I, I heard an interesting interview the other day with a, a with a, a landlord from New York um, mm-hmm. who was who was saying that, uh, you know, a year and a half is a really long time. We've been, we've been in this pandemic for a year and a half, and it's a long time, and it, it's given people um, the opportunity to uh, get set in their ways, in their new ways, and that Ooh. to think – To think that people uh, will go back to the way it was is unrealistic because uh, people have formed habits now, um, everything from online shopping to not going to the office to not going to the gym, that now, I mean, it's part of their daily routine and it's their habits. And they formed those over the last year and a half. And to think that people are going to be rushing back to the gym, rushing back to the shops, rushing back to the supermarkets and you know and changing their ways back to the old ways is um kind of uh you know it's it's just it's just not realistic and the problem is that a lot of landlords um are thinking like well you know once everybody gets the vaccine and we're on top of this covid thing all these people are going to come back but they're not because they've already formed different habits over the last year and a half. It's a long time, you know. So I thought that was pretty yeah. insightful. Yeah.
0: No, no, very much so. M- Mr. Fackler, they say you can't de- teach an old dog new tricks. but It sounds like a lot of the old dogs are learning new tricks uh, based on what John was just saying. Um, how likely is it we're going to have people going back in the office, or is there going to be movement towards flex space or flexible no, no, uh, no. scheduling where, where you work I, some at home some? some in the office, or maybe even you change jobs and you work for an organization that's not even located down the street or on the same zip code as you, but more so across the country, and now you can live wherever you want and simply Zoom it to work. What say you, Mr. Packler?
1: Yeah, I think uh, Jean, the report that uh, John mentioned was dead on. Um, I think there are habits being formed, serious habits being formed. And also, even in the story we're discussing, deep in the story they talked about You know, when it comes to retail, the only retail that's doing well are those shops that are anchored by grocery stores because people have to go get their groceries or just Mm -hmm. specifically maybe they have to get their, you know, pick up their pharmaceuticals, and those are technically the only retail, uh, the strip malls that are doing well. So think about that. I mean, people are getting to that habit. I'm one of those. If I have to go out, I'm going to – it's very specific. I was never really a big shopper anyway, but it's usually – you know, a quick grocery hit, and then whatever shops around there, maybe a haircut if I can get it, um, or a drugstore. And that's, you know, well, I found that very curious in this, in the story itself. And now John's mentioning another story where that uh, similar type of behavior is occurring. So, yeah, I think it's more of a permanent thing going down the road.
0: Huh, interesting. Well, John, you know, you mentioned pharmacy. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, Amazon is moving into um, uh, the pharmacy business where you actually you set up your prescription, and they go ahead and yeah. mail it to you directly, just like they do with anything else.
1: So um, yeah, by the way, knows? as you mentioned, they're they're actually up my ass. So to, um, to <laughs> um, use the service because you know I use the Uber Eats a lot, and um, they have they keep promoting this new service with the pharmacy. I actually was so intrigued by it that I actually went into it, you know, and tried to sign up. But there were so many bells and whistles you had to go through, and you know, I was a little worried about the security of my. You know, medical information, let's face it, medical records, um, you know, are are, something that people are trying to protect in this cyber, you know, espionage uh, uh, days that we're experiencing now. So I'm not quite, I'm sure it's going to be a great moneymaker for them, but uh, like Uber Eats is, apparently uh, that's that's also been a very uh, profitable part of the business, but I'm not quite ready for it. But yeah, I think that's where it's going.
0: And, 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 Mr. Fanko, let me just follow up on that. You mentioned Uber Eats, which you pay a premium. You get less and you pay more because it's delivered yeah. to your place. Uh, once the pandemic's over, once you are vaccinated, what's the likelihood you're going to pay that spread or that premium for an Uber Eats service? Or is this just a temporary type of fix? And once uh, you know you feel like I, you're safe I, again and you can do stuff, are you still going to do it? Are you still going to be a lazy ass I, and pay the premium? Or are you going to well. actually um, get out of the house? <laughs> I, you know, I've
1: uh, I've been accused of the laziness before, but I, I I I actually think this this fits in with this whole concept that uh, Jean had mentioned, and um, uh, that people's habits are being formed. And um, you know, I think you're right. I mean, it's not going to be as lucrative, but I think people are still going to want to do it. Uh, it also mentions in the story that the online shopping phenomenon was actually pre uh, predates the pandemic, so. You know, which we've talked about on the show previously. So they mentioned that yeah. in the story. Um, and that's something that, you know, you gotta take that into consideration as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, fair enough. Um, story number five. Ken, we're gonna go to you. We're gonna go to you. This comes out of the Hartford Business Journal. The headline, COVID nineteen foreclosure moratorium creates challenges for lenders. Connecticut homeowners are falling behind in paying their mortgages at a higher rate than those in most other states, according to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Lenders seek to recoup funds, uh, typically handled through litigation before COVID-19, are finding many obstacles in their path. These obstacles require careful consideration and strategic thinking to allow lenders to move forward in the midst of a global pandemic. Mr. Silverstein, I guess what I'm wondering of you is, is it good that it's hard for banks to go ahead and foreclose on these people? uh because of the moratorium because if you think back to the last go around during our housing crisis uh you had these robo signers basically it was a it was a it was a like a like a sweatshop they were able to produce all these foreclosures very quickly this time, it sounds like there's a lot more obstacles. So is this actually playing to the benefit of maybe somebody who's struggling as a result of the pandemic? And, um, you know, not only are they dealing with a pandemic, but they're also dealing with the fact that they might be losing their home. But at least it can't be. It's, it's not just like real quick and easy, um, uh, at least according to the story. What, what, what say you? Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I mean, obviously, from my point of view,
3: it's, uh, I mean not my personal point of view, but from my general point of view, it's a good thing. I mean, you've got a economic crisis. Um, you know, has been exacerbated by the pandemic. There are a ton of people in dire straits. We have, you know, okay, there's a $1.9 trillion stimulus plan. I know it sounds like a lot of money, but think about how little direct aid has been given to people. I mean, it's absolutely astonishing. I mean, you've got 1400 bucks um, in direct checks per person from Biden and Trump had put out $1,800. We're looking at $3,200 to U.S. citizens, um, unless you're unemployed, in which case, of course, you get more. But if you're unemployed, you're not living high on the hog. Um, so, I mean, I you know, during a pandemic, to make it harder to foreclose on people, that to me is a no-brainer. But what I think the story is missing, of course, it's, you know, it's the Hartford Business Journal, so they're telling the, Or, you know, the story is written from the point of view of the of the lenders. So I get that, you know, but hey, when when the moratorium ends, I don't I you know, I don't know how we're going to avoid given what, you know, it sounds like a lot of money, you know, one point nine trillion. But little, little direct money is being directed to U.S. citizens. So I still don't see how um, in the end. We're not going to have a crisis with large numbers of people being evicted. So it's really hard for me to look at this and feel horribly for, uh, for the lenders. Obviously, I mean my sympathies are with the renters who are going to get. You know, I mean, hey, you you've got a moratorium, so they can't evict you, but that doesn't mean. I mean, I've talked to uh, business people in my neighborhood here in D.C. and they're freaking out naturally I mean you know they have gotten you know they they haven't been shut down because they've had this moratorium but meanwhile every month their debt is going up and so they're wondering what's you know what's going to happen so for commercial renters and for homeowners or or for um, sorry uh, renters house renters I mean this moratorium is just putting off what is Going to be a pretty ugly crisis. I don't see um, any way around it. So um, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. bad for a lender. It's worse if you're you end up with, you know, you haven't paid rent for nine months or a year. But how, what are you going to do when that moratorium is lifted? It's it's pretty scary. I would
0: say. Jean, um, what, what about from the the lender perspective? Um, uh, you know, they're making it difficult. If you're owed money by somebody, granted, you can try to work out a forbearance with that borrower, but at the end of the day, they're making you jump through a bunch of hoops. How much confidence or how much concerns and what, what kind of strategy, what kind of planning do you, if a, as a lender, what would you have to do in order to sort of come to grips with uh, something you have no control over? It's got to be extremely yeah. as frustrating and as anxious at the time for the lender as it is for the borrower.
2: Uh, well, is, well, is it yeah. not... Well, the saving grace is that property values have been rising. So um, okay. hopefully, hopefully a lot of these homeowners are not underwater. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, if if a lender starts foreclosure proceedings against a homeowner who still has equity in their home because of rising property values, um, because we've seen houses uh, – you know uh rise- rise in value very steeply in the past year uh presumably these homeowners can sell the house and pay off the loan I mean then you know the alternative of course is renting, but it's better than getting foreclosed on and losing losing everything, you know. So I mean and mm-hmm. for lenders for lenders, they're not gonna have to take a write down, which is, you know, sort of the 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 black mark that they that they really want to avoid. They they they're not in the home ownership business. They're in the lending money business. So they don't want right. to own a bunch of they don't want to own a bunch of houses. So you know, whatever that can be done to get the homeowner to either pay back the loan or to leave the house and sell the house and pay off the loan. I mean, that's what's going to happen. And I think, you know, as opposed to the last crisis, the last housing crisis, property values plummeted. And so the banks ended up with the keys to all these worthless, were not worthless, but um, uh, these homes that were worth less than what they had loaned Loaned on them for, so they ended up with with all this real estate banks don't want all that real estate, so i mean i think I think they're looking at it um you know it's not it's not uh, gonna be uh from a lender's perspective this crisis uh, as of now does not look like it's gonna be a repeat of you know, 2008 to 2010, simply because property values have increased and, you know, they'll be able to get their money back, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. And for homeowners, of course, you know, that's the way out, you know, is selling, selling your house and paying off the loan. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, you know, I, 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 I almost wonder, okay, so the last go around, the last economic downturn, you know, the Great Recession and, you know, the condo crash and all that down here in South Florida. Yeah. So all these people basically got wiped out and they were forced to be renters for as long as they were until, you know, they could improve their credit and they could go ahead and they can buy again. I'm almost wondering at this time, because prices are going up and people are in trouble and they're refinancing and doing that type of thing, are people going to be stuck in their places longer than they ever wanted to simply because they're levered up so much? To keep the places afloat, um, they keep taking advantage of pricing going up. Maybe you know they can't make the payments because the pandemic hit them. And now, lo and behold, instead of being out on your ass like they were last time, being forced to rent, maybe now you're going to be chained to that house and you can't actually dump it, kind of like a stock you bought in the market. You know, left you. And you're stuck with the stock. You don't want to take a loss and dump it. So instead, you keep hoping it's going to come back. Do you think there's any possibility that maybe we've, we've peaked in terms of pricing? And some of these people in these places or maybe some of the people who bought uh, these places, they're going to be stuck with this stuff for a decade until prices ultimately come back and they're, they're more justifiable, you know, uh, given the fact that their interest rates are going to be changing and other things. Do you think there's any possibility of that or am I just totally off?
2: Well, if they if they bought recently, yeah, yep. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, but if they bought, you know, let's say five or eight years ago, um, you know, and they they refinance that. I mean, they by by now, like property values have uh, risen to such a point, particularly in Florida and South Florida, especially that, you know, they, they've got to have equity uh, and they've got to be they they've, they've got to be able to put their. House on the market and and sell it for more than they what they bought it for and pay off the loan. I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, even if you know, even if you have to go back to renting. I mean, I think that's still a better. You know, it's better than having the black mark of foreclosure on your credit score. You know. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we'll
0: we'll go start, start number six. Let's go to John Spackler. John Packer, I always like to end uh, the story segment. I like to end it on a positive note, or at least positive in theory. So um, uh, let's go with the stories coming out of the Real Deal Miami. Headline, trying to make waves, question mark. Ugo Colombo and Valerio Moravito launched sales of Onda Condo Development, Bay Harbor Islands. Now, a little bit of background for everybody. Ugo Colombo is a developer who's been building down here since 1992, 1993. He was the first one to put up a condo on Brickell Avenue after the crash. From the venezuelan currency crisis in the 1980s he went ahead and he built some condos he's known as a local developer's got a good sense of the market and timing so the fact that ugo's involved with something that suggests that maybe the market's coming here's the other thing he's building it in bay harbor islands anybody doesn't know bay harbor islands it is the working class section of the bell harbor area bell harbor is where the fat cats live the up-and-coming fat cats live in surfside which is right next door and all the worker bees they live in bay harbor So Ugo is going into Bay Harbor and he's going to try to build a condo and they're going to launch sales for what it's worth. Bay Harbor Island had a ton of unsold condos uh, from, or has a ton of unsold condos from the last boom. So that's sort of the the background, Mr. Fackler. Now I'm going to read you the first couple of graphs and I want to get your comment about whether or not this guy's ahead of his time and he sees something or maybe, uh, you know, he just figures, let's go ahead and float the balloon, trial balloon, weather balloon, and see what's going to happen. So here we go, Mr. Factor. Hugo Colombo to Valerio Morbido are, are the latest South Florida developers. to pull the trigger and launch sales of a new condo project, the real deal is learned. CMC Group and Morbido Properties, Tap Fortune International Group, begin sales on Onda, a planned 41-unit, eight-story development at 1135 103rd Street at Bay Harbor Islands. Morbido told us the real deal. Construction could begin in the fall and the building could be delivered in 2023. And Mr. Fackler, before I get you to comment, it's 2021, they're gonna begin sales right now. This is an eight story building, which should take about nine months, maybe a year to build. They're saying it could be delivered in 2023, which is two years from now. So um what say you mr peckler are they trying to see if they can generate enough sales to actually do something with a piece of dirt they own or do you think these guys are in uh sincere in thinking that the market's ready and uh they want to put uh shovels in the ground sooner rather than later what's do, do?
1: well what i thought about it, what's interesting about this development is like you said even though it's in a working class neighborhood i believe these are upscale and will have marine um not marines but both lifts um So we're talking about they're targeting a a more, um, you know, luxury crowd. Um, He also denied um, that the pandemic had anything to do with it as far as the timing of the development and everything else. However, it was also mentioned deeper in the story that these units will include dens, which is uh, slightly unusual uh, to have a den. And the den, the reasoning for the den they mentioned was because people were working from home. So that what they are is, you know, they're, they're literally trying to take advantage of this work from home phenomenon um, in offering uh, these these homes, uh, these units that include dens. So it's sort of contradictory to say one one side of your mouth, listen, this has nothing to do with the pandemic, and then also say, oh, by the way, we're having dens so people can work. From home. <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> That's a great point,
0: great point. Ken, um, you don't know shit about the Bay Harbor condo market. I I don't think I'm I'm speaking (laughs) out out of turn and saying that. But what you do know is what's going on in Washington and what's going on nationally. Have you heard of any place in the country um, where they are launching brand-new condo developments um, uh, because they think that there's going to be another building boom right around the corner? Or is this kind of an anomaly uh, 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 to Miami? What, what say you, Mr. Silverstein? Well, I can't say that, you know, I
3: I can't say this with any certainty, but I think it's probably an anomaly to Miami. I mean, the Miami real estate market is an oddity. There aren't many <laughs> markets like it. So it's hard to imagine. Um, I mean, I used to live not too far from there, Um and it's really hard for me to imagine um, uh, how that's going to work and, and you know, why you would be looking ahead to 2023 with such optimism. But it is true. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, hey, I mean, Miami always seems to find money for the real estate market. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I can't believe there are many places where, developers are launching projects like this it just it's it's got to be a miami thing
0: okay and then what, what one follow-up on that ken um uh you, so you know the area bay harbor islands again typically people who live in bay harbor islands they live there because it's cheap rent but it's close proximity to sunny isles bell harbor and even south beach to a certain extent um condos at this on this island uh, uh, project uh ken and this is this is not on the beach they're going to range from about $1.6 million to $8 million for a condo in an eight-story building in um, that neighborhood. Does that seem like a little bit of a stretch, Ken? And, again, you're not a real estate expert about Bay Harbor Islands, but you do know Bay Harbor Islands. You know that area in general. Does that seem a little bit exorbitant, uh, or do you think maybe that the, um, from what you've seen, it's a real desirable place where people want to drop close to $2 million uh, on a condo to live? <laughs> on a site that's not on the sand.
3: It does it doesn't make any sense to me at all. I mean, that that those prices seem insane. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why um if you're gonna spend that kind of money on a condo that you would want to buy there. I mean, hey, you know, I'm this sort of person who, you know, when I lived over in that area not too far away, you know, I mean I would go get a drink at on the rocks, you know, one of the flowers <laughs> in North beach. Um, so, okay. I mean, that's, you know, but I mean, that's right down the road, really. I mean, yep. you know, that's not too far away and yeah, like you said, it's, it's not on the ocean. Um, it's in, it doesn't seem like, and this is where, you know, my lack of knowledge of Miami maybe hindering me from seeing this, but that seems like a very weird area to be dropping that sort of money.
0: Or, or maybe your lack of understanding of the Miami market is allowing you to see things clearly. Uh, so
3: guys, well, that's guys, true.
0: Yeah. <laughs> guys, that being said, let's go ahead. We'll take a commercial break. The other side of the break, I'm going to ask the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction. This is Peter Zolinski of the condo vultures podcast. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And I wanted to alert you that if you have a property that you're looking to sell in the tri-county, South Florida area, I would encourage you to reach out to Jenny Cortez, a licensed real estate broker with CVRRealty.com. She's my partner. She's been in the business for uh, north of 15 years. More importantly, she knows the market. She knows how to get a deal done. And she also realizes that it's more important to get a price that you can accept and sell the property rather than to hold firm on some price that's never going to be achieved and ultimately languish on the market. So if you're looking to deal, do a deal that you want a skilled expert who can help you sell a property, reach out to Jenny Hortes at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or visit her website, TVRrealty.com. If you're listening to this podcast, think about who else it is. Do you want to reach that crowd, which tends to be investors, buyers, developers, lenders... Why not advertise on the Condo Vultures podcast? To do so, give us a call at the office, 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. Welcome back to the Reporters Roundtable. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. i got John Gruce, i got Ken Silverstein, and i got John Fackler. This is the prediction segment. This is where I ask all the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction about something that might be coming down the pike for you, the listener, to uh, be on the lookout for. So why don't we start with John Fackler. Mr. Fackler, um, give the listener some, something to keep their eyes on, something you expect to come down the pike. And please, no sports.
1: Okay. but it's, um a little bit of uh, politics involved with this as well. Um, okay. My prediction is, that the rebound in um, employment um, mostly with the restaurants uh, and leisure business uh, because of South Florida particularly is so heavy in that business the rebound in jobs will be twice that in Florida as the national average and because that rebound will occur here in Florida someone who's, very, who's got some political ambitions by the name of Governor DeSantis is going to jump on that fact and he, we will be, Florida will be the first state in the union uh, once the extension of uh, jobless benefits, um, unemployment benefits, um, uh, concludes in September. Florida will be the first state in the union to cancel unemployment benefits because, and he will use that as a, um, a platform to run uh, for the Republican nomination for president.
0: Interesting, interesting. So, so your prediction is that uh, uh, R- uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, is going to run for what? He's going to run run for president. I mean, presidential. Right. Election he's, running president. he's running for president. He's running for.
1: He's already got the highest percentage of those who are going to be running. Believe it or not, I think twenty percent um, compared to even Pence, who has like two percent. So Biden's not even
0: 100 is, days in. Biden's not even 100 yeah, but, days in. Why, why, but he's, do you think he's going to announce early?
1: Well, no, he's not going to announce it, but I'm saying the platform, by the time this happens, it's going to be the end of the year. By the time it's going to start heating up for, you know, um, obviously the midterms but as well as the presidential um, um, uh, race, he's going to jump on this because what the Republicans are going to do now is uh, rally around the troops and uh, say that the Democrats have been spending too much money. So they're going to be using that, you know, as a, um, as a, as a platform going forward that, um, but, you know. But what
0: good does it do DeSantis? What good that, and he's running for Senate or something, or he's, I don't understand why. No,
1: he's I running mean, for president. He's running for I know
0: president. what president, but, but Biden's a hundred days. It isn't even a hundred days in. This, right, is, that's three, saying, three years from now.
1: Right. But I'm I'm saying by the end of September, which is, you know, a long time from now. Um, you know, people are gonna start putting their their stakes mm-hmm. in the ground as far as the presidential race. Yeah.
0: And, that early? Um, three years in advance? Wow, okay. They're already, they're already talking um, about it nonstop. now. They're looking at percentages. They're wow. looking
1: at it now. I mean I was shocked to see he was twenty percent, he's the highest of the six potential Republican candidates. And um um I think he's just gonna uh, see this as a, a platform. Um, you know, maybe it might be a negative uh going you know, getting rid of unemployment, but he might and he's been so anti-unemployment uh, benefits anyway, um, I think that's what's going to happen. He's going to see this this phenomenon occurring and, and sort of jump on the bandwagon, uh, the wow. anti, anti-spending anti bandwagon, I should say.
0: Well, Mr. Fechler, I will say the good thing about your prediction here, most of the time you're wrong. This one is three <laughs> years from now, so chances are you're going to be able to <laughs> skate on this one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> well, I'm just saying it's three years from now. that he's going to run. So,
1: Peter, you'll remember.
0: You'll remember.
1: I'll remember. Yeah, yeah we'll you'll definitely hold, remember. He will, and he will hold it against me.
0: Yes. <laughs> John, why don't you give us something a little bit closer to like this year, um, in terms of your prediction? What the year? Okay.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, I've got a prediction for this year. <laughs> for this year, okay, twenty twenty one. Yes. Yes, and my my prediction is that the Brightline high speed rail will reopen this year, which connects Miami to uh, West Palm Beach uh, via Fort Lauderdale. And the line is currently being extended to Orlando and uh, that's scheduled to be open in 2022. And there are negotiations going on right now to extend the line even further to Tampa. So you'll be able to travel from Tampa to Orlando and Disney uh, to West Palm south to fort lauderdale and miami ending right downtown and there will be more stations um already under construction is the aventura station and um, i think i think you're going to see a lot more stations and then of course once once everybody's vaccinated and the pandemic is not not as big a deal as it was i think we'll see a resumption of the service and in fact um the we'll be back to the super. Super congested roads and crazy drivers, and I think a lot of people are going to start using the rail. So, anyway, that's my prediction for for this year.
0: For this year. Interesting, interesting. Well, and what I will say, anybody who calls the stock market, they'll know that Disney, the Disney stock is taking off. Part of it has to do with the app and download so all the kids can watch. All the disney favorites the other part is we're going to start to see disney world as well as disneyland opening and Brightline ties right into that as john mentioned yeah. you got them people coming from tampa they got them coming from miami west palm and other places so it looks like Disney's just going to be betting uh benefiting they're really in a uh, interesting position so very interesting yeah, and um, the tie- uh,
2: prediction that, well the tie into real estate um uh is that you know those stations like aventura and those more urban areas are really going to book a yep. uh-huh you, Yeah, because you're going to get a lot of um, you're going to get some housing around them and you're going to be have like this uh, intermodal, uh, you know, people will want to live uh, where they can hop on the train and go downtown to Miami and have dinner and, you know, or go to Disney or, you know, without having to get in their car. So I, I think for those for those areas where uh particularly urban areas that have been um sort of left behind you know by the pandemic, I think that this will be um you know this will definitely be a plus that's
0: interesting interesting thought yeah okay um Ken, you 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 follow a lot of politics uh, uh that type of thing uh if you want to talk about politics, I got no problem or if you want to talk about uh, mr Fackler's prediction I got no problem but uh what say what what say you can
3: yeah i have a question first Um, i'm just curious what's going to be the travel time between uh orlando and miami when this project is completed?
2: um so it's going to be roughly i think three and a half hours something like that i think that was the um so it Mm -hmm. is a high speed line um so the high the high speed portion of it is actually between orlando and west palm um and they're Mm -hmm. building it right now they have just they have just about completed half of it of course the train travels more slowly um, from the West palm down to miami because it 's on the i think it 's on the c s x lines um, so it has to travel more slowly it 's going through urban areas and stuff like that so right i've 've written it before curious. it's it's it 's super nice it's um you know it's a it 's a it 's a first class experience it 's not it 's not amtrak it's this is like a privately held operation they 're also building an l a to las vegas uh line um at the same time so privately held uh they issued uh they issued uh uh, tax-exempt bonds to help finance uh the whole project so yeah it's pretty interesting
0: john john i think it's the fbc tracks which they um they ended up owning oh yeah sex lines are on yeah Yeah. they're on the west side of 95 and and yeah it's owned by tri-rail yeah
3: Okay, anyway, so, um, I was point, just curious about up, that. Yeah. But in terms of uh, boy, in terms of predictions, I do not agree with Mr. the esteemed analyst, Mr. Fackler, I that uh, Alice, Ron. Alice, Ron Alice. Well, Ron DeSantis. Is, <laughs> I mean, I, hey, I've been wrong before, but Ron DeSantis is not going to be president and running on a campaign. Even the idea of, of sort of gaining small uh, recognition on a platform of cutting unemployment benefits during this grim time. I don't see that as being a winning, uh, <clears throat> a winning uh, platform. So I, I mean, I think the national aspirations. I mean, if he's going to run for president, I'm not going to see that happen. I, I just don't see it happening. And I also think that, you know, Hey, what the Republicans are, and, and I should say, I'm, I don't like either of the parties. I mean, I'm a complete cynic cynic, but my politics are more on the left than on the right. But I'm, I mean, I'm not a fan of the Democrats. Um, so let me just, you know, this is, I'm about to say something negative about the Republicans, but okay. that is not coming from, I'm, I'm not like a fan of Biden or it just like I despise the two par- parties pretty much equally. But, um, but, um, you know, I mean, what are Republicans good at? What do they campaign on? I mean, you know, these wedge social issues, you know, so abortion, gay rights, um, whatever. I mean, that's, you know, race, that's where they excel. So, I mean, cutting unemployment benefits, I don't see that as being a a winning issue. Um, so I'm not seeing that campaign unfolding very well. Um, beyond that, I just, you know, nothing, hey, looking at, uh, yeah, we're just a couple of, we're not even two months into the Biden administration. So predicting what's going to happen in 2024, who knows? But for this year, I think the... um, Yeah,
2: this year, that's a good one. Go ahead.
3: Changing, yeah, changing from politics just to the uh, broader national economy. I think that the pandemic is entrenching some very unhealthy uh uh i'm trying to i'm trying to think of the word here sorry but just we have a very very unhealthy economy where you know i mean this has been unfolding for decades but it's accelerated greatly with the pandemic where you just have this massive shuffling of money upwards and more and more people being left behind you know we like Hey, my favorite places to travel. I love to go to Africa and Latin America and Asia. I love to, you know, going to different sorts of places. But you know, people talk about oh, third world countries. I mean, we're. I mean, what's going on here is pretty scary from my point of view. Um, and I think that, in you know, there's a media bubble, um, and people who. Are financially comfortable or not aware of what's going on around the country um i don't know I mean I'm not saying I have no idea you know politically what it's going to lead to, but um you know just i mean you know with the pandemic and the economy we have i mean we you're starting to hear about oh you know growth and employment and you know the end of the pandemic, but the benefits. Uh, from the economy are just going to a smaller and smaller fraction of the population so I don't know I'm not real optimistic about um, uh, the people you know there are a lot of people that are going to be left behind by whatever
1: recovery happens
3: so uh, we're just becoming more and more of a divided society and that makes predicting politics very very difficult because you don't know where people are going to go but there are a lot of alienated voters you know whether they go to the right or to the left or i really have no clue it's too early to predict um but going to be a lot of unhappy so, people
0: so so mr Silverstein, your prediction is mr peckler's wrong about the same <laughs> well that i feel no, comfortable no, predicting and no, no, hey
3: Three years down the road, I don't even think we we'll need to wait three years. But the DeSantis presidential candidacy is a myth that we can just sell. Three, like I don't think we need to wait thirty-six months. Like it's, yeah, I, I don't see it as a breakout candidate. But yeah, that's, let's stick with that to be safe. I know you remember that word on this one too. DeSantis so is DeSantis's
1: president and.
3: 2024, you can hold this against me forever, but I'm not
1: seeing it. Okay, okay. This is classic. The prediction is that I'm wrong. It's always
3: a safe prediction. All
1: right. I should have stopped halfway through that prediction. I I thought I got it. I shouldn't have brought up the politics. I should have just cut it off with that he's going to shut down the unemployment, but I still stick by that. I think they're probably right about that. Yeah.
0: All right. For and then for my for my prediction, I don't know if you guys have, if you guys saw, but oil it topped forty uh, excuse me seventy dollars a barrel, seventy dollars a barrel the first time since January eighth of twenty twenty that it topped. It didn't close, but it actually it, it surpassed. Anyway, so, and if you remember when the pandemic was hitting, oil had a negative price. If you owned oil contracts, you'd have to pay somebody to take them from you. Oil was negative, and now we're over seventy bucks a barrel. So what is my prediction? My prediction is that the $70 a barrel, it has to do with some political unrest and uh, a missile attack in Saudi Arabia. Another thing, I don't think it's going to stay there. I think it's going to pull back. I think we're getting a little bit ahead of our skis in terms of how how well the economy is going to be performing. Obviously, oil prices go up if the economy is performing well. The global economy, I don't necessarily see it because I see what the difficulties are in getting people vaccinated in this country as well as other parts of the Western world, let alone the rest of the world, the undeveloped areas and the areas that are struggling to get the vaccine. I think we might be a little bit ahead of our skis. I don't think we get back to 70 bucks a barrel until 2022 or uh, 2023, personally. That's, so that is my prediction. I'm not going as far off as Mr. Fackler, which is three years. I'm only going one year out. Um, let's go ahead. We'll take a commercial break. On the other side of the break, we're going to get into the uh, comment section. This is Peter Zalewski of the Condo Vultures Podcast. Before I started doing these podcasts, I basically was in the business of being a licensed real estate broker, a contributing um, columnist for the Miami Herald, as well as the Miami Real Deal, but also expert witness work in consulting. So if you are looking for an expert witness or if you're looking for consulting services, a straight talk perspective as to what's going on in a particular marketplace, a building or th- what happened previously. For whatever your situation is, whether you are a an attorney, whether you are an institutional fund looking to invest, or whether you're a lender who's trying to come up with some sort of strategy and approach uh, for your lending committee going forward, I just might be able to help you. To get a hold of me, please uh, reach out to Peter at CondoVultures.com. That's Peter at CondoVultures.com. Or give me a call to the office at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859. Welcome back to the Reporters Roundtable. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. This is the comment section. This is when you, the audience, you get to go ahead and ask a question, uh, compliment, criticize, make a statement, any and all of the above we want to hear from you, any comments we receive, we go ahead and reread them during this segment of the Reporters Roundtable every Wednesday. So if you want to send a comment, please feel free to send an email to inquiry at I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. That being said, let's go to John Fackler. John, um, what are the comments we got and uh, who they're from?
1: Okay, our comment this week is from the erudite one, Ilya from the Treasure Coast. Ilya, who's been missing in action. We haven't heard from Ilya in a few weeks. Yeah, in fact, that was his first comment. Did you miss me? Um, <laughs> so he didn't quite say where he was, um, but he does have a prediction. Okay. And he believed that when the vaccine absor- absorption rate will become wide, about 90% plus, There should be a jump in prices for secondary condo market in South Florida. People still want to move to Florida. Houses are getting way too expensive. Some people don't want a yard. They want an ocean view. As soon as the stigma or condos as COVID beds uh, start to subside, there will be a jump in demand, and pricing will be adjusted higher, perhaps 10 to 20% as a result. Your comments, Peter?
0: Wow, interesting.
1: Um, John, Ken, what do you
0: guys think? Everybody left condos and they want a single-family house. The New York condo market is in deep trouble. Um, uh, the South Florida condo market has got some real challenges as well. Um, what do you guys say once we get vaccinated? And President Biden says there'll be enough vaccines uh, in the United States for every uh, 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 adult in the United States by the end of May. Are people going back into condos? Is this a uh, single-family house um, situation where everybody flocked the houses? Is is the housing market in trouble? The single family house market and the condo market
2: looking positive? What do you guys think? Yeah, can I, can I, I think just people's answer. habits have formed. Ah, yeah. Okay. Go ahead.
1: No, can I just ask I mean, if, if, if to your point, Peter. He also okay. says he's wondering if it's uh, time to buy condos and wait for a year. He's hearing, because he's in the business, I believe, um, that new high end expensive condos are being bought left and right. Um, most of you people with money, and he doesn't know if that's true or just the usual bullshit, as he says, uh, marketing for builders. Well, I mean, listen, we, we
0: John, we'll go to you. Let me just fill that in real quick for them. So, so we talked today about a brand-new uh, project going up at 1.6 to $8 million in Bay Harbor Islands, which is a working-class neighborhood, uh, effectively – um, you know, so the developers are developers develop and they always hustle. They're always putting out stuff There's no pushback on what they say It's not like publicly traded companies where the f c c will get involved if there's some information put out That's a little let's call it boastful if you will that doesn't happen in the real estate side There was also a story a couple of weeks ago talking about how luxury ultra luxury market was on sale. I did a report uh, Statistically and I showed that there's like years and years of supply available. So, um, you know, that's more of an anomaly uh, in terms of what they were saying, and then finally, the, you know, the last bit is we've heard about a lot of people dumping their condos at a loss. They're losing money to be able to unload their condo and get out. Uh, but that isn't necessarily catching the headlines, or it's not the spin that the realtors are reporting out there. So I would just tell you. Uh, Listen to what they say and then go and look up court of the court records to see what the reality is, because the reality versus the spin tends to be dramatically different, especially when it comes to condos in South Florida, which is one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast. So that being said, uh, uh, John, what about that? Are people going back in the condos? Are they going to feel comfortable once they get vaccinated, they get the jab? And what does that say for single family
1: houses?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, look, I I think people's habits have been formed over the last year and a half and I don't think they're they're too eager to run back to condos. Um, you know, they've rediscovered the suburbs and they've rediscovered that hey, you know, if they're going to be working from home, they don't need to be anywhere close to their office. So, why not be in like a spacious uh spacious house with a pool and a garden and your own little Private heaven. Why be in a 300-unit a building, you know, with uh, neighbors partying all night, you know?
1: <laughs>
0: or Airbnb it. <laughs>
2: exactly.
0: Yeah. M- Mr. Silverstein, you've lived in a house, you've lived in a condo, you've lived in a rental building. Uh, right now, you have your own place. Uh, what, what, what do you make of that? Um, you know, would you go into a condo now if you get vaccinated? Is a condo back in, uh, is that something you would consider or uh, are you going to sit tight uh, until this vaccine has totally cleared its way out before you'd ever consider living high-density vertical again?
3: Well, I mean, mind you, I mean, I lived in Miami, you know, in a pretty, as you know, modest establishment. So um, it's not exactly like a high-end condo. But, I mean, what this is really you know, something beyond my area of expertise. So when I want to hear about Miami real estate, I listen to guys like you, um, you know, I just want to the, put your, short.
0: but your personal preface, Ken, would you, would if you get vaccinated, would you live in a high rise, high density uh, for, you know, in the next year or so? Is that something you consider? Uh, or would you rather stay low density? Uh, not you. in Miami. I, I just wouldn't, I mean, n-
3: no, not Miami. I wouldn't want to, be in a a big building. I mean, I'm just not you know. It just seems to me that what you're talking about in terms yep. of you know looking behind what the realtors are saying, what John yep. is saying too. I mean, yep. I don't know. I would not, you know, <laughs> even if I were able to to buy a condo um in Miami, I don't think I'd feel comfortable because it just doesn't seem to me like it's you know. I mean, if you buy a property, you're gonna plan on being there for a while and um i don't know i wouldn't have a great deal of confidence that the price prices are not going to drop so no
0: i wouldn't okay yeah and then uh M- mr factor you've lived low density you have lived high density right now you're uh low density um would you go back <laughs> if you get vaccinated would would, would you go back into a high density situation in the next year or so
1: um no, I think I'm a little bit more cautious going forward. Um, I, I'd probably sit on the sidelines for a while to see what goes on. Then again, I'm not a horse trainer like you, so. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you know, I I would say
0: me me personally, you know, you 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 really got to wonder if people are going to go back in the condos with the same type of gusto. I think the point that John made about um, those going out to suburbia. And looking for a little bit of a different setup, uh, more square footage. Uh, if you don't have to do that commute, you know, I I think it's going to have an impact. I mean, I what I can tell you is walking around Greater Downtown Miami, there's a lot of places, legitimate places, which are now gone. They shut down, and granted, it's temporary, whatever, whatever, whatever. But I'm just wondering if we didn't see the peak, um, you know, before the pandemic of all of these restaurants and bars and things in this in the urban core. Of going down Miami and I'm almost wondering if it's not going to be another cycle until people are, are, are prompted and incentivized to actually come back because you know, let's face it. Some of us have gotten lazy. You're sitting on your ass, you order an Uber Eats and, 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 you know, you're getting your prescription sent to you and stuff like that. And you got an Instacart. <laughs> are, are you really going to, um, are you going to go back into a high, high density situation where you're taking an elevator with, you know, 30 people and a bunch of dogs. And like John says, all the bar, the partying and the, you know, this and that, I, you know, I, I, I gotta wonder, I think there's probably gonna be a little bit of a um, resistance kind of like after September 11th. Remember when nobody wanted to go in a high rise after September 11th yep. and um, yep. that, you know, the world trade Center came down, people were petrified. Now, ultimately they came back, but it wasn't immediate. I mean, the sales center for the, for the four seasons on Grickle, which is a 70 story building, they had to shut it down. It was closed for two years or so while they constructed the building, because nobody wanted to buy in a damn thing. And then once the building came online in 03 or so, that's when they started opening it again and trying to see if they could actually sell the product. It ended up taking them nine years to sell out the condos in that particular building. And why do I mention that? Well, because they, they began right around September 11th, and people had it stuck in their heads. Now, ultimately, you forgot about it, but I just wonder if we're not going to have that memory when it comes to, um, you know, the pandemic, the same way the, the kids who grew up during the Great Recession, and they saw their parents lose their homes. Many of them said, "I don't want to own. I'd rather be a renter because I saw what devastating effect that had on my family." So, you know, I, I think the jury's going to be them. out. I, yeah, you know, I think the jury's going to be out. I think we'll probably know before Mr. Fackler's prediction about Ron DeSantis being the uh, the president in <laughs> two thousand and <laughs> twenty-four. <2024. Come
1: on. laughs> we'll
0: probably we'll probably know before <laughs> that, but. But for the foreseeable future, I don't see the condo market having the same <laughs> desire outside of the speculators. Me personally, people think they can go ahead and they buy, but the, you know. And then, but we're going to see what these developers trying to launch these projects. These projects don't get off the ground, and if an eight-story building is going to take two plus years to develop, I mean that should be nine to twelve months. If it's going to take them two plus years to develop, I think that's a good indicator. If they get off the ground and they happen, then you know it's going to show that uh, maybe there is a market. But, you know, I would I'd venture to guess that that 2023 might be a little bit on the optimistic side, me personally. So anybody want to add anything before we shut down this podcast? Nope. OK, so that is Ken Silverstein. Ken's been a journalist for North of 30 years. He's also an author of six books. Ken, name a book or two that people can uh, look up on Amazon and actually uh, uh, purchase so they can they can check out some of your writing. What uh, what, what, what are some of your more popular books?
3: uh the two that sold best were one is called the radioactive boy scout about a kid who tried to build a nuclear reactor reactor in his backyard which is a true story (laughs) and the second is uh uh the secret world of oil which is about the behind the scenes players in the oil industry an excellent
1: read by the way
0: excellent read thank you wow okay and that is John Fackler. John used to work at the South Florida Business Journal where cover white-collar crime as well as publicly traded companies based in South Florida. Right now he does public relations and consulting when he's not making predictions about four years from now. Um, and also, too, we have, we have John Gruth. John was a journalist for 25 years. He did a, uh, he had a gig at the Tampa Tribune as well as some other publications in the state of Florida as well as up in Washington. And right now he has his own publication and marketing firm called Roost Communications. And I'm Peter Zaluski. Remember, if you're not yet a subscriber to the podcast, please go ahead and do so if you're listening to the podcast. If you like what we're doing, leave us a comment and a rating. More comments and ratings we get, the more likely we are to spread our message and move towards accomplishing our goal, which is trying to bring some straight talk to an overhyped real estate market. And then finally, if you have a comment for us, Send an email to inquiry at am I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at countyvultures.com. Every Wednesday we read them there on the Reporters Roundtable. So until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, get inoculated, and we'll talk soon. Ciao, ciao.